Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Daniil Medvedev is still on fire. His latest victory, another Masters title in Shanghai, but we're not just going to go deep into that final because there's too many matches to go over. And the reason why this is a late upload is because of the amount of tennis that I needed to catch up on because of the godforsaken time difference and the way astronomy and planet earth works which is quite annoying when you're a tennis fan and the sport is played all over the world uh anyway i just had to catch up on a lot of the tennis because sometimes i was able to wake up early and and catch some of it but a lot of the times of course i i wasn't because i am a uh i actually need sleep so that's why this is a late upload but i i think i think it's going to be worth it because this this show is going to be loaded with tactics. And again, I'm going to go into more matches than I normally do. And uh, I'm going to go backwards. Or, yeah, I, I think it's backwards, yes. Because I'm going to start with the final. Then I'm going to back up and go over Tsitsipas Medvedev. Then I'm going to back up one round earlier and talk about Federer and Djokovic, who both had quarterfinal exits. A lot of, of next-gen to legend interaction here a lot of that in this tournament the only thing this tournament was missing was nadal other than that felt like uh felt like a massive massive tournament because of the matchups there's your thumbnail i saw on twitter someone called this matchup zveredvedev zveredvedev is if you combine their names zveredvedev can you think of anything more difficult to say than Zverevdev? I, I messed it up, but I had it before. The thumbnail is Medvedev and Zverev, who met in the final. And let's start with that match. Um, so this was a terrible matchup for Zverev, and it wound up being a pretty straightforward victory for for Medi, one of and really all, all week was pretty straightforward for for Medvedev but to me this is a nightmare matchup for Zverev because if you can't initiate offense against Medvedev I just don't know how you're going to beat him I I just can't imagine a way where if you are not a an excellent generator of offense I don't see how you're beating Daniil Medvedev you are not going to be more consistent than him. You are not going to wear him down physically. You are not going to have better shot tolerance. And it's not like... And and I, I to me, it's like a Djokovic-Nishikori situation here. 
where at the moment, as we stand right now, Zverev just does everything a little bit worse than Medvedev, but tries to win matches in somewhat similar ways when he's on. And, you know, that's... Um, Zverev is is very consistent hitter from the back of the court. When he's playing right, he doesn't miss a lot. We're going to get into his counterattacking later in the show. He does have that first serve as a weapon, which it was all week, but Medvedev is getting so many returns in play. Essentially, they're just playing super long rallies, these two, for most of the match. And Medvedev just did a little bit more. Uh, he, he traded with a little bit more quality, a little bit more urgency. And ultimately, Zverev was never able to play short points, on even on his service games. And Medvedev sometimes was able to play short points on his service games. And that's a huge difference. Because even if it's 50-50 on the long rallies, well, who's going to win the cheap ones? Medvedev was able to win more of the cheap ones because even though we've discussed that Medvedev's midcourt game isn't the strength of his game, he still has it, and it's getting better and better. Let me show you an example of Zverev not playing the first strike tennis that I think would be required to beat Medvedev and not generating offense. So here's a first serve. Um, it's 30-15. Medvedev returns it central, right in the middle of the court. The ball nearly bounces on the service tee. And Zverev's inside the court, inside the baseline. The ball's right up the middle. I mean, he's, he's in perfect position. Crush this ball. Do something with it. Take control of the point. Take charge. But he doesn't. As you can see, he, he kind of just rolls over it. It's in the middle of the court. Or, you know, it's got some depth, but it's not close to either line. Essentially, Medvedev is there. As you can see on the far side of the court, if you're watching on YouTube, Medvedev is not stretched out at all. He's not under pressure at all. And that can't happen with this ball. Zverev is asking too much of himself for this entire match to try to outlast Medvedev in a baseline rally. He doesn't have the firepower to finish points against Medvedev. To find an easy way against Medvedev. He only has the hard way. Medvedev loves the hard way. He loves the long rallies. He loves to suffer. He's not going to miss. He's not going to get tired. So uh, it was a tough position for Zverev, and that's how I saw the final. Not going to go in too much depth in any of these matches. Just going to kind of give a bit of uh, some, some tactical overviews. So let's go on to the next one. Semi-final between Tsitsipas and Medvedev. Tsitsipas is the exact opposite case as Zverev almost because Tsitsipas is so good at playing first strike tennis, so good at generating with his forehand and his net play. He's shown recently especially such a good feel for the net. He knows exactly when to come in. He's a good volleyer and he's hitting his forehand a lot better as of late. That's another thing that I'm going to get into, not for this match, but with the Djokovic match coming up. In the big points here, the difference between Tsitsipas and Medvedev was Medvedev had uh, defense and pace absorption and was able to withstand uh, was able to withstand some of the, the heavy balls that Tsitsipas threw at him. Tsitsipas did not do a good job of keeping the ball in play under pressure. 
Tsitsipas folded when Medvedev's quality of shot got too high. It's just a matter of defensive racket skills, I'd say. It's not about movement. Tsitsipas is pretty quick. He's very athletic. He's pretty ex explosive, and he's pretty good on the run, but that's only part of defense. The other part of defense has to do with racket skills, and how, are you, how well are you able to handle shots with um, an immense amount of depth, with an immense amount of pace? And I think in big moments, Tsitsipas uh, came up short. So here's four all in the tie break. First set, six all, four all. We're all evened up. And Medvedev, this is a this is a backhand um, off of a off of a serve. So this is the second shot of the rally, and it's really deep. And Tsitsipas backs up. It's about. Five to seven feet behind the baseline here. He's off his back foot. He's off balance. That's okay. Medvedev hit Medvedev hit a very deep ball. So it's okay to be off balance. It's okay to go to your back foot. And you know, one one strategy with footwork is to actually jump backwards as you're hitting the ball. That's okay. And that's what Titi Pass is gonna do here. As he hits the ball, because it's deep. Because he's trying to buy himself time, he's going to jump backwards. And he does it, but he shanks it, and it goes long. Now, in reality, this needs to be a high percentage ball for Tsitsipas. Especially given his opponent. Medvedev probably isn't going to be the guy where you're terrified to hit a ball that's in the vicinity of the middle of the court. Like if you're playing... A Nadal or a Federer um, or maybe a Del Potro or a Berrettini or a Dominic Team might be kind of – it's a lot of pressure to keep the ball out of the middle of the court. But in such a big moment here, I want that to be a safe shot for Tsitsipas. That should be high, cross-court, spinny, safe. But that's one error. Look, it happens. But now at 5-all, Tsitsipas hits a second serve. Medvedev steps in. It's a safe second serve. Tsitsipas knows a heavy ball is coming. Medvedev steps in and hits a, hits a ball with a lot of depth and a lot of pace. But it's right at Tsitsipas. Which is, don't get me wrong, that's where you want, that's the best place to return it. Because it's, it's pretty hard to get out of the way and recover with your footwork. But Tsitsipas... He knows it's coming. He's very well prepared for it. Again, he tries to hit an off-balance shot off his back foot. It's okay that he's off-balance here. But you gotta make this. And he shanks it again. That's another error. Medvedev closes out the second set. Two balls where Tsitsipas is on the, on the defensive and he can't absorb the pace. His opponent, Medvedev, unreal at absorbing pace. Uh, now let's go to 5-all. This is break point. 5-all, second set, 30-40. Notice these are massive points. Now this is a shank return from Medvedev, and it's going to land in the corner. And Tsitsipas retreats, retreats, retreats. Once again, this is contact point. Tsitsipas is jumping backwards. It's a defensive position. He's off balance. You got to still make it. And... 
and this ball, I guess I don't have the next screenshot. This ball, right, I remember why. This is such a bad shank that it wasn't even worth getting the next shot for to, to show you guys that it was out because it was it, it was hit into oblivion. So the point I'm making here is Tsitsipas has made a lot of improvements on his front foot. He's playing really, really well on his front foot. He's not playing well off his back foot. The One of the big improvements that he can make is defensive bracket skills. And that's something that most people don't train. This is this is more of a just a comment, side note, and I don't know about Tsitsipas' training regimen. So now separate this from my discussion on Tsitsipas. This is a separate comment. This is a big problem in coaching where coaches don't train defense. When they feed balls, when they warm up, when they drill their players, they only drill trading and offense. How come when coaches feed their their players balls, or how come when they hand toss, how come they're not training defense? 90% of the time they're training trading and offense. You gotta drill defense as well. In Spain, they drill defense. Um, which is which is one of the things why why my my tennis coach who was influenced by the Spanish way would always train defense even even hand feed. Um, he would train defense by putting you in the corner, not just giving you an easy toss so you can. I mean, sometimes to train your technique, you we'd train easy toss, but to train our defense, high cross court, lots of margin, lots of topspin, lots of net clearance. He'd put us in the corner. Put us in the corners and make us go high cross court. But you're supposed to make those balls. And Tsitsipas, he's he's very good when he's got his feet under him, but he he can improve defensively. And it's not about his athleticism. It's about his defensive racket skills. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, we'll get back to Tsitsipas when we talk about um, his win over Djokovic. But now let's transition to Zverev and Federer. What do I have here? Oh, okay. Um, so first of all, Zverev's first serve percentage was was incredible in both his semifinal win over Berrettini and his... Um, am I getting this right? Tsitsipas, Zverev. No, against Tsitsipas. Wait. I'm all turned around here. But Zvera's first, first first serve was tremendous this week. Um, and that's one thing that definitely helped him in this match. But mostly, the main way he was winning was actually on the counterattack. Which is the intention, the tactical intention, that I probably, I probably talk about the least. Because it's the least practical way to win. It requires immense talent, and it's not very—it's not a really sustainable way to win. But when you think about counterattack, that's it's basically when you're attacking off attack. That's a counterattack. Where we see it most in tennis is passing shots, and due to due to the opponent's court position, that changes your intention. So if the opponent's court position is at the net, well, now I need to attack. So that's why you counterattack. That's why you can't neutralize. That's why you can't trade. You have to counterattack. 
So that's when we mostly see counterattack is when you are um, going for a passing shot. But anytime you, anytime Zverev attacked off of Federer's attack directly, that's that would be quali- that would qualify as a counterattack. Zverev was not really creating offense much besides his first besides after coming um, following up a big serve. Zverev wasn't so much creating offense on his own. He was creating offense from Federer getting out of position and then him trying to take advantage of of kind of redirecting that pace. Another thing was I feel that Zverev is when he plays Federer really understands that he needs to use his backhand as a weapon. And the way he does that is, one, he tries to take time away with it, two, he tries to change direction with it, and three, he plays close to the lines with it. It's such a good shot when he just unleashes it, when he goes for more. And the reason I picked Zverev against Federer is I'm thinking, I love the way Zverev plays against Federer. He plays with urgency. He plays like he's terrified of the middle of the court, especially on his backhand, which is such a, again, such a precise shot. He can change directions with it so well if he just goes for it, if he just has the confidence in himself to go for it. Another thing is the end of this second set where Zverev had triple match point on his serve at 6-5 in the second set. From there... Federer went god mode. It was the most entertaining stretch of the entire tournament. It was unbelievable from Federer. And I think a combination of one Zverev's new mindset where he's not as negative since Labor Cup, which is in large part thanks to Federer, and two, I think it helped that he was playing Federer because Zverev, after losing triple match point on his serve, again, didn't get negative. That's not the same Alexander Zverev that we've seen most of this year. Didn't get negative. Part of it is new mindset. The other part of it is I think it helps him to play Roger Federer, who he normally you know, refers to as the greatest of all time. Says, says probably, probably to you know, respect Nadal and Djokovic, but I think that's... Zverev voices that opinion kind of indirectly often. And I think when when things like that happen and he's playing Federer, he shrugs it off and says, that's Federer, instead of getting very down on himself. He almost gives himself a pass and isn't as hard on himself because it's Federer. Now, as far as Roger Federer is concerned, it was not a good day for him with the forehand, but mainly with the volley. And I felt that since Zverev wasn't missing from the back, Federer knew, okay, like I need to, I need to come forward. I need to take this into my own hands. I need to take, I need to get to the net here and win the match from the net. Zverev was playing very far back often. And I know, I, I know I just said he, he would take time away with his backhand. That's when he was on his front foot. That's when he was attacking. But for a lot of the times, Zverev was retreating, grinding, defending, using his movement. 
And even in a fast court like Shanghai, this surprised me a little bit. But Federer wasn't really able to win points from behind the baseline with his ground strokes. A lot of that has to do with Zverev's court position. The further back Zverev is, the more he's going to be able to retrieve. But conventional wisdom suggests Federer could counter that by coming to the net and finish finishing points there. Because when it comes to hitting passing shots, you don't want to be 10 feet behind the baseline. And that's where Zverev was playing. Here's where the counterattacking comes in. This is what Zverev was doing. He was passing Roger Federer. He was coming up with spectacular shots routinely. He passed Federer over a dozen times in this match. He came up, he really just showed his unbelievable talents for counterattacking. He showed his unbelievable movement for his height. And that's how he was able to win this match. But he needed help from Federer, who was not having a good volleying day, with the exception of one stretch at the end of the second set. Here's the third set, 15-30. Federer hits an approach inside-out forehand. Zverev is behind the Shanghai logo. He's 10 feet behind the baseline. In comes Federer. And... Zverev does a decent job with this passing shot, but Federer has a knee-height volley at the service line. For some reason, he doesn't hit it cross-court angle. He goes drop volley down the line. And sometimes that's a play if you're trying to hit behind the opponent. Like if Federer was trying to hit behind Zverev, that would make sense. But Zverev is kind of at the sideline. So he probably should have went cross-court considering where Zverev was. But he goes line. And Zverev's able to pick this off the ground. It's not a particularly good drop volley either. But it's kind of tough to hit a drop volley down the line from where Federer was at. I mean, that's not the easier volley. The easier volley is short angle cross-court. Don't use depth. Use width. If Federer used width to win this point by going cross-court... That would have been an easier volley. But he tries to take away depth and doesn't use the width of the court. And that's why Zverev is able to get to the drop volley. And now, Sasha is excellent at this. He's so good, similar to Djokovic, at hitting a topspin backhand even when the ball is very, very low. And he's able to hit it with the topspin to dip it back down into the court. So he's able to make this pass down the line. Federer thought it was going cross-court. Zverev was able to do these things so much in the match. With his forehand, with his backhand, it didn't matter. Zverev was out-dueling Federer when, when Roger was coming to the net. It was not a good volleying day for Federer. It was a brilliant counter-attacking day for Zverev with the passing shots. Could also do it with Federer at the baseline, by the way. There were instances where, where Zverev was hanging back and just absorbing pace and hoping Federer gets out of position. And then that's where he was finding his openings. He was not finding his openings in the traditional trade, build, finish kind of way. Which is not Zverev's strong suit, to be honest. But mentally hung in there. Really impressive effort from Zverev. Who's turned around. Labor Cup did it. As, uh, 
as I expected it to. Lever Cup turns Zverev around mentally. Things are better off the court, it seems, as well. So, Okay, last but not least, Djokovic, Tsitsipas. Um, hmm. This looked... Now, Tsitsipas was playing well, very well, but Djokovic was too. Novak wins the first set, and he's playing some spectacular tennis in the second set. When Tsitsipas raises his le level, Djokovic raised his level with him um, towards the end of the second set. So... It, it looked routine for most of it. Not routine as in easy. Routine as in it's Djokovic, so he'll probably win. Uh, what happened here was pretty bad game at 5-6 from Djokovic. Had a double fault and missed forehands. And that was the biggest problem for Djokovic was the forehand in this match. The forehand wasn't good. Tsitsipas, on the other hand, was was playing at a pretty extraordinary level. I want to point out something with Stefanos here. It's his first strike tennis, and it helped it helped him to beat Djokovic. I guess this was two years ago now, or was this was this last year or two years ago in um in Canada? Oh, it must have been last year. Two years ago it was too long ago. I think I think it was last year. Uh, Tsitsipas beat Djokovic in Toronto or, or Montreal, Canada. Uh, the first strike tennis. Djokovic is really good at neutralizing the first serve, obviously with his return. I mean, that's one of the most well-documented things in tennis is Djokovic neutralizes first serves. And the way he likes to do that is he, he has great depth. That's the key ingredient to neutralizing the first serve is his depth. Normally it's down the middle, so his opponent doesn't have a lot of angle to work with. And that's another key ingredient. It's not pace. It's not hitting it hard. That's not, that's not you know, how he neutralizes. He's not keeping it low like Federer likes to do. It's really, it's really depth. But Tsitsipas's forehand is so good that I feel like a lot of the times Djokovic hits a return like this and it's between the baseline and the service line. That's pretty good depth. And right here, you know, you think Djokovic, he's recovered. He's in the middle of the court. He has Tsitsipas three, four feet behind the baseline and he's not, and he hasn't given him much angle to work with. Looks like Djokovic is about to get into a neutral rally here. This is where Stefanos's forehand is one of the most special shots in the game. I want to point out what his target is here. Because for a while, uh, especially this summer, Tsitsipas was really struggling. Not making enough forehands and just too erratic. Too many errors. He was trying to club the ball all the time. And I feel like he's taken a step back and he's realized... I need to put the ball in the right spot and then I need to go to the net. And that's how I'm going to finish points. I'm not going to hit the ball 90 miles per hour in order to win the point. No. I'm going to put it in a perfect spot and I'm going to bring my opponent off the court. 
And if they maybe if they neutralize one, but I'll get a short ball from that. Well, now I'll put it somewhere else, and now I'll come in. That's the kind of thing Titi Pass has been doing. So notice where his target is here. It's not in the corner. It's angle. And Titi Pass generates way more spin than people realize and that people give him credit for. It's a big deal with Stefanos. So that's an angle that doesn't exist for most players. The angle that he gets here doesn't exist for most players. But Tsitsipas gets so much RPM, and he's so, so accurate. His, he, he has this, the precision of a surgeon with his forehand. The first thing I ever noticed when I watched Tsitsipas when, um, when he played, when he made this, the run in Barcelona, eventually losing to Nadal, was the angles that he could generate on his inside and forehand. And I, and I just remember, every time I saw him hit, hit that shot, it was within six inches of the line. And I was like, what the heck is this? How does he do that? That's what makes Tsitsipas so good. And here he's able to drag Djokovic off the court on what looks like a very innocent return from Djokovic. And he can't make the defensive, uh, can't make the next ball on the stretch. All in all, um, this match... I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was um, for the Djokovic side. I mean, Tsitsipas played fantastic. On the Djokovic side of things, I, I don't know what it was, but his forehand was was not there. He was just missing forehands. And uh, sometimes his footwork looked off. Sometimes his timing looked off. Made some, you know, he, he missed some backhands as well. Uh, it just wasn't the it just wasn't the clean match, the perfectly clean match that Djokovic would have needed to beat Tsitsipas at the level that he was at because it was an extremely high level. All right, um, let us go to the comments. We don't have much time, but I'll go. Um, I'll go to the comments. And by the way, I'm going to change the system. You guys, you guys told me you liked it, so I'll always read the top three comments. But then I'm going to do a little pick and choosing. That's the compromise. Uh, thank you guys for your feedback. I'm also going to start putting the comments up on the screen again. I'm going to start doing that again. But uh, it was late. I wanted to get this up. Top comment is Daniel Nicholas or Nicolas. Um, he says, what do you think about the, su the success this next-gen guys have over Djokovic and Federer but struggle with Nadal? Or is it just a thing of momentum? Uh, it's... It's interesting. Definitely, definitely something that I've noticed. Uh, I'd have to give more thought into that. And I would have to go kind of case by case, I would say. But I will say that playing, playing, yeah, you know, maybe I'll make a video about that. Because that's going to require a little bit more thought um, than, than I have time for right now. Uh, Sap save. What do you think is the weakest part of Medvedev's game? A little while back, I would have said his volleys and touch in general, but he's improved tremendously in those regards. I agree. I don't really see a weak link in his game. If you do, can you please explain it? Thanks. Also, it's insane how accurate your prediction was for the tourney. Yeah, that that one wasn't bad, right? Oh my god, I couldn't couldn't believe it. Surprised myself sometimes. Um, okay, really good question. We've talked a lot about Medvedev, Medvedev's perceived weaknesses, and then all of a sudden he comes in the next week, and it's not a weakness anymore. 
It's unbelievable. Right now, here's what I believe his weakness is. And you'll see this more on a slower court. On faster courts, this isn't going to be as apparent. I still think if you keep the ball very low, slash if you give him not as much pace as he wants, I still think he has trouble generating offense off those types of balls. <laughs> that, I think, is, is one of his weaknesses. Another weakness might be when he's a little bit less confident his second serve. Right now, he's so confident that his second serve is actually remaining pretty unattackable. He's hitting it with a lot of slice. It stays low. But he doesn't have a kick serve. And I wonder if at certain points that can become an issue in terms of protecting his second serve. I've seen it before. I just haven't seen it recently. This right now, I'll say the last thing I'll say on this is this is the worst time to ask that question, believe it or not. Although it was a very, it's a very good question. Because he's so confident that everything's working. What's going to stop working when he's not confident? I can tell you, it's not going to be the consistency of his backhand. It's not going to be that. That's going to be there forever. But is his midcourt game going to get worse than it is right now? Are his volleys, or is his touch going to get worse? Is his second serve? What's going to get worse when he loses confidence? That's the question. Third comment, Omar Paniker. Oh, it's Omkar. It's not even Omar. Does Medvedev risk injuring himself playing so many tournaments? At present, he seems to be unbeatable, but for how long? Kind of reminds me of Djokovic in terms of the uh, the durability. And I know Djokovic, it's not like Djokovic hasn't had injuries. Certainly has. But if you're if you carry less weight on your body, if you're more lean, you're generally less susceptible to injury. The other thing I'll say about this is you do your scheduling very far in advance, and it normally takes a player a little bit of time to adjust to the fact that they are now a contender. So the fact that Medvedev is playing a 250 next week, which is insane unless he pulled out, but I know he was scheduled for it. The fact that he's playing a 250 next week, that's a product of him not knowing that he's going to win Shanghai. I mean, he's, he's surprised himself here. Does he need to cut back? Definitely. Is he risking injury? If he were a normal human being, yes. He, he doesn't appear to be a normal human being based on what he did at the U.S. Open. He appears to be an extremely durable athlete. And part of that is like being lean helps is all I'm going to say. Being lean, being flexible, being still strong is, is all good things. Um, someone wants power rankings. I'm going to answer. I'm going to end it on a Coco Golf question. Now that Coco Goff has won her first tournament at the age of just 15, is she set to be the next big thing in the women's game? Uh, Ryan Locke asks that. Um, Coco Goff has probably top five best movement in the WTA already at age 15. She probably is up there in serve. She's got a big serve. Her backhand is very, very solid. Her forehand is probably her weakness, but it doesn't look that bad to me. So is she going to be the next big thing? Probably off her sheer athleticism, which reminds me of Venus Williams. Yes, athleticism, serve, backhand, the, the tools are just already there at age 15. So I can't really see her um, 
I, I can't see her be, being a disappointment at the moment. At the same time, um, I hope she doesn't feel that pressure at 15 because that's a lot to handle. Um, one more, just because this guy's been very persistent and I want to answer his question. Um, he says, Muhammad Al, uh, ooh, what's his name? Muhammad Ali Zaidi. Uh, Nad when Federer was dominating, he was the best player of that generation. Then Nadal and Djokovic, who are four or five years younger than Federer, came along. As we all know, one generation of tennis means five, six years. So that transition to the next gen was normal although Fed was still winning. But the problem came after five years when there was basically no one who could constantly challenge Nadal and Djokovic like the previous generation did to their superiors. So in my opinion, weak era only applies to Nadal and Djokovic more than it applies to Federer. Simple thoughts on this. If, if Federer had an advantage field on the front end, beating people like Roddick and Hewitt and Philippoussis and Safin and Fernando Gonzalez... Uh, to win majors. If he got it on the front end and Nadal and Djokovic got it on the back end, more so, even though Federer was still around, then doesn't that even out? Isn't, isn't, isn't that even? Isn't that the same? I don't think there's a major difference. It's an interesting point. Yeah, the, the, the lost generation helped everyone in the big three. Did it help... Djokovic, who was more in his prime, a little bit more than Federer? Yes. But did it help when... Did it help that, that Federer got a couple years there where his competition was too young to, to challenge him? Yeah, that helped Federer. So um, that's my answer on that. All right. Great show. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. No Monday match analysis tomorrow. We're off next week, so I'll see you next time, but not next week. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.